Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today is our most popular guest, Caleb Jenks, uh, all the way down from Rosebud, Texas. Caleb, how are you doing this evening? I am doing good. I'm a free man. I'm on on here to talk about not being so free. Yeah, so slavery... Why isn't slavery discussed in churches today, Caleb? I don't know. I guess it's probably controversial on a topic that we just avoided. So I guess. And, you know, I I think when I ask that question, really, it's kind of a cheap shot, because honestly, I don't know. Maybe every church does discuss it. Maybe they discuss it regularly. I'm just saying that in the 20 years that I've been going to church, I haven't heard it. So I ask questions like that to make us sound bold in our willingness to tackle such a subject. But who knows? Maybe everyone talks about I've it. Certainly, I've it. Cern- certainly heard it preached on as far as especially when um, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. That'll, that's that's sure. about quite yeah. a bit, but. But as far as slavery in general and right. breaking down what the Bible says about it, I don't think I've ever heard anyone tackle the subject. So where do you want to start with this? I have some ideas, but I'm always curious. What what are you thinking? Well, I'm happy to, to, to give us a foundation if you want. Yeah, I don't know. We could go any way with it. We haven't we've never even breathed a, a word about this conversation ahead of time. So I have yeah. no idea what your thoughts are on it, but um, I think when I I may have suggested it at some point, and then I think you you brought it back up like a year or two later because it was something that we had we had thought about talking on, and I think it's it's kind of a it's one of those zinger lines that you'll hear thrown around uh, as far as an accusation against God or against the Bible. Well, yes. you know the Bible's homophobic and it's yeah. racist and it's supports slavery and oh, you know all these terrible everything. things. Yeah. All of all of today's biggest evils, um, we'll find you know cheap shots like that that we can make against the Bible to say, hey, the Bible isn't that great anyway because you know it supports slavery. So I think it's a great idea to, to tackle the the subject and and uh, see what the, what the Bible, Bible actually says. Says. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to skip to my last page and I'm going to bring up a question. All right. So all right. Caleb, do you know who John Newton is? Uh, John Newton, Isaac Newton. No, I'm trying to think. It you do, familiar. and you're going to kick yourself in a second. He, he, he wrote was, Amazing Grace, right? He He's did write trader. Amazing Grace. Yep. Do you know what he did for a living? Was he a slave trader, or he was the he guy was. that went and caught them and he, no, no, no. He, he he owned uh, boats that would transport slaves from one country to another so they could be sold, and in the end, he ended up uh, changing, you know, his view. After he became a Christian, he was influenced by the Bible, obviously, and he changed his ways, and he spent the latter part of his life campaigning against slavery. And he wrote, you know, moving and very disturbing accounts of what the slaves went through on the ships, and he was a a very ardent anti-slavery advocate for the rest of his life. Uh, do you know 
So what was it that got John Newton away from slavery and what convinced him that he should not be in the slave trade anymore? I, I mean, obviously he had a firsthand experience, but I'm not sure. I mean, he got saved and he decided that wasn't his. Yeah. It was his study of the Bible that did it after he got saved. He became a Christian. He started reading the Bible and he recognized that slavery was wrong. In the same way, what was the driving force behind the abolishment of slavery in the United States? I was going to say white males. (laughs) Again, they were the ones that were fighting for it, but it's mostly Christian. (laughs) It was Christians who saw that the Bible said that mankind, there's only one race, and that is the human race. We are all made of one blood. And it was Christians who saw the injustice in slavery. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people back then, today, that use the Bible to justify all kinds of horrible things. But that's nothing new under the sun. There's always going to be people in every religious group, every group that has a spiritual book, and they're going to use it as a way to justify horrible things. But the fact is, if the Bible is so racist and if the Bible is so pro-slavery, then why was the Bible the catalyst for so many slave owners around the world becoming anti-slavery in their beliefs? Right. You would think that the Bible would be what encourages more people to become slave slavery advocates, but it has the exact opposite effect. And it's because the Bible does not endorse slavery. It talks about it and people become uncomfortable because the Bible uh, talks about it and talks about the way you're supposed to treat your slaves. Okay. So let me ask you some questions here. And this is always my favorite part because we don't rehearse this. So I have written down, and this is just me and my brainstorming. I have five points to modern day slavery. So, okay, Caleb, let's pretend that you want to get yourself a slave. All right. Now I'm assuming you're, you're going to buy your slave from somebody. You're not going to go out and get your own because you're lazy and you have business to attend to. So you don't have time to do that. So what's the first thing that's going to happen in the process of getting you a slave? Well, in modern day slavery, uh, well, or at least it doesn't have to be slavery. modern day. You can I mean, pick I would, whatever year you want. You want well, to? I would say the, the, yeah. I would say in recent in recent slavery, not biblical, but recent slavery that most people think of now, most slaves have probably been abducted or stolen or okay. I agree. Tricked, so, in, tricked into being into slavery. Absolutely. But can we agree that whatever the method is, it starts with the kidnapping of a people, the forcible and unwilling removal of a human being from where they want to be into your possession. Is that the case in all slavery? That's that would I would know, but I would say with modern slavery. Yes, that was not in Bible times, but it is now. Well, even then the people that became slaves technically they were forced into it. They were removed by force is my point. No one, not, now, 
we're going to get into as far as slavery that was that was actually endorsed by the Bible. That was absolutely not the case because correct, if you force somebody but into slavery, then you were realistically you were yeah. You and I both know that what the Bible endorses and explains is not using the word slavery for it is misleading at best, right? Because that's not what it is. Okay, so we're talking about just plain old fashioned slavery. Okay, so right. someone has to be kidnapped. Number two, that person that kidnaps the individual is then going to sell that individual to somebody that wants a slave, right? Right. Okay, number three, and this one's important, and I'm using these points because we're going to show how all of these points are different in the Bible than they are in the rest of the world with normal, normal slavery. So number one, a person is kidnapped. Number two, that person is sold for a profit. Number three, the new owner of the slaves have absolute power and discretion over the treatment of their slaves. Is that the way slavery works? Right. That slave is your property. You determine what's going to happen to that slave and you have absolute authority. You cannot be held accountable criminally for what you do to that slave. Is that the way slavery has worked throughout the ages? Right. Okay. Then number four, this slavery includes perpetual enslavement of the descendants of the slave you purchased. So their children and their grandchildren will also be your slaves. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. So then slavery was forever. So that is how slavery would work and has worked for thousands and thousands of years throughout human history. Okay. So now slavery as it existed under the law of Moses has no relationship or similarities to modern slavery. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say as would have been prescribed under the law of Moses would have been regulated in, in such a way that it would have little or no resemblance to what we what we think of when we talk about slavery now. Correct. And the last point I want to make before we jump into some Bible verses and talk about this is that the law of Moses did not create slavery. It only regulated the custom that existed. already existed, you got it, for thousands right. of years. Okay, now you started to take us off into a direction, and I'd like you to explain that a little bit as far as what is, I think, unfortunately, incorrectly called slavery in the Bible. You want to jump into that? Yeah, so... Um... I was, I was thinking I should say first before we get too deep. Obviously, uh -oh. obviously neither Here comes Patrick or I. He doesn't want to be Patrick. racist, so he's gonna he's gonna apologize somehow. Get ready. No, I was just say neither Patrick or I, as far as I know, have ever owned a slave or would ever advocate for slavery. Um, and so no, when this wait accusation a is wait a minute before the end of this podcast, I am going to advocate. I'm going to advocate slavery. Okay. I'm going to be an advocate for slavery. So, 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 so everyone, well, that is the soundbite. 
I'm going to give you another big juicy one that you can use against me forever if you don't want to listen to the rest of this. But I am going to be an advocate for biblical slavery before the end of the hour. Go there ahead, Kevin. No, and actually, for its time, it was some of the most humane, uh, the, some of the best human rights that were out there for their time and age. So actually, I would be, I think there was probably a lot of people that would have been advocating for biblical slavery as, as we see it. But yeah, I was just, just going to say that um, when you look into a subject like this, God is, I believe that God's word stands on its own two feet without me coming up with an explanation for something. There may be some things in the Bible that are hard to understand and that we may not ever completely comprehend why God did certain things. There's some things um, that some things in the Bible that are actually a lot more challenging topics than this. This one, once you actually study it and research it, it's, I, I don't think that it's, that there's really a problem with it. Um, but there are, there are, there is a chance that as a, as a Christian that we may not necessarily understand what God was thinking or, or doing and that does not, I don't believe that, that somebody having an unsatisfactory explanation for something in the Bible in any way disqualifies it as being the authoritative word of God. God's word, God is, I believe, holy and just, and everything that he's done is justified, um, whether we comprehend it or not. So it's not necessary to give an explanation on this in order to say that, that this isn't an accusation we can make against God. I, I believe that God is just regardless whether, whether we understand what he's doing or not. But I think it's once you look into this topic, it becomes pretty clear uh, from a biblical standpoint of what was going on here that it's not you can't just you can't make an accusation against the Bible. And say, well, the Bible supports slavery and, and then just leave that as a blanket statement, like like as if like like as if what we're looking at with modern day, you know, human trafficking and sex slavery sure. and that kind of a thing that, that yeah. had any similarity to, to this. Yeah. That being said, I do think that there's plenty of things that are recorded in Scripture that are recording human interaction that's very messed up. It's a history mm -hmm. book. Yeah. And so there's going to be people that weren't walking in obedience to God, that were doing bad things, and the Bible is going to have been dealing with some of those things in the best way. You know, God was dealing with his people in the best way that he could. Much like Jesus said is when it comes to divorce, that uh, Moses allowed for divorce because of the hardness of hearts. But mm -hmm. from the beginning of time, that was not God's plan for us to divorce one another. The Bible addresses rape. God did not design rape, but the yeah. Bible had to address rape. The Bible sure. has to address slavery and many other evil things that are happening. Um, but, but I was just thinking that it's, it's good to keep in mind that just because God has to deal with mankind's messed up stuff and say, okay, since you guys are doing this, I mean, there's all kinds of things that mankind invented. And then God had to say, all right, okay, if you guys are going to loan each other money and you're going to charge interest, don't charge too much, in, you know, char don't charge interest to a brother. There's different things like that, that that wasn't necessarily God's plan from the beginning that slavery happened, I don't believe. Mankind mm -hmm. started this and then God had to deal with it. So um, the other thing is, is slavery in the, the original Hebrew is then translated into English either as servant or slave. And there's a lot of versions of the Bible, specifically the NIV, that almost always translate it as, translates it as slave, where oftentimes in the King James, it will actually call it servant, which I believe is a more accurate representation of what the, what the relationship would have been. It was actually more of a legal, consensual contract between two individuals where somebody agrees to serve them, work for them for a period of time, um, and then in trade for that, oftentimes they got something out of the deal. I mean, the Bible talks about maybe they, maybe they get a wife out of the deal, they work uh, we saw that with Laban and 
his daughters. So I, I think that it was probably a little bit more complex. There may have been some situations that were more um, fair than others. But it, 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 to me, I look at it more like somebody that signs a football contract for five years and they're going to get paid X amount. Well, these guys that sold themselves into slavery oftentimes probably didn't have the, the skills to negotiate a really good contract where they got $5 million. Yeah, you know, something that I often talk to people about when I'm explaining capital punishment is a lot of people argue against capital punishment in the Bible because it's a messy, ugly system. And I'll admit, capital crimes and capital punishment are an ugly, messed up system. But God makes a system to make the horrible sin the best it can be. And we can't mm -hmm. just write it off simply because it's not perfect. Sometimes guilty people are going to go free. Okay, well, granted, humans are in charge. But that doesn't change the fact that God's system is the best way to corral sinners, lost people, and saved people who are sinners into doing his will. Okay, so I'm going to explain there are two types of slavery talked about in the Old Testament. We're going to spend a good portion of tonight talking about the first kind. So the first kind is being a bondsman, a bondservant. And the second type is being a slave. And there are distinctions between the two, but unfortunately, all of them are lumped together as uh, slaves, and realistically, it muddies the waters. So being a bondsman, what would happen is an Israelite becomes a slave to another Israelite, typically due to debt or poverty and once in a while as a punishment due to a crime. So if you and I were to compare it to something today, it would be compared to being an indentured servant, which I think a lot of people would understand the idea. That was the case even when immigrants were coming over to America prior to 1776, prior to America being the United States of America. Someone wouldn't have the amount of money that they needed, so they would essentially get sponsorship by a wealthy person that was already over here and had an established business. And then say you and your family would be able to come over and you would work for that rich individual for so many years to pay off your debt. And that was the way that you would essentially finance uh, you and your family coming over to the new land. And while you lived here, you would work for that person. They would give you and your family room and board. And then at the end of that period of time, that was agreed upon. And like you said, contracts were signed and you would go to work. And this would give you an opportunity that you would otherwise not have. This is the case of a bond servant. They did not become a slave through kidnapping or unfortunate birth. This was something that if you fell on hard times, uh, maybe you were negligent or 
you know, just absolutely stupid with your financial dealings and you kind of lost everything and fell, fell flat on your face, what you were able to do was you were able to sell the only thing that you had left and that was your ability to perform labor. So that was in a way alone. And then after a period of time, you would be released. And the Bible talks about this in great detail. It gives a lot of definitions and explanations as far as how this was supposed to work. So the bond servant who did this was made a wage. Uh, They had their debt covered. They had a home to stay in. Uh, They would often have uh, what we would call on-the-job training, depending on who you were working for. And one of the best parts about it was that God said that this could only happen for a period of time. So it would never last more than six years. So you were down and out. You owed someone money. You had nothing left. You made some financial mistakes, had some financial reversals. You and your family were in a terrible way. And you wanted to get back up on your feet and take care of your family. So God made a way you could sell yourself as an indentured servant and agree to work for this guy for so much time. And you would have room and board. Your family would be off the street. You would get training in whatever type of business that your new master was in because you're going to be working for him. And you would work for him for a period of time. The Bible says was not going to be more than six years. And you would have skills at the end of six years. And are you ready for this, Caleb? Do you know what happened to you and your family at the end of the six years? You were free to go, right? You were free to go, but there's more to it. It was required of your master to give you a substantial amount of wealth so that you could hit the ground running. You weren't, you didn't even go free and they're like, all right, good luck to you. You know, you're dead on your back, right? You're back on the streets with nothing. Nope. It was set up differently. So, so if you think about it, Caleb, this was actually in many ways better than the American college experiences today, which right. does not cover your debt and you have to pay for. Yeah. I was so joking, <laughs> joking around with a friend of mine last night and I said, I was writing down some Bible verses for this podcast, and I told him, I said, people are striving to figure out what to do with the homeless crisis in America. Yeah. <laughs> and I know this this would be a good snippet to, to, uh, to uh, put on to promote our podcast, but um, honestly, in some ways, God had, a, God had a way of dealing with things a little. It wasn't like, hey, you can just go freeload, you yeah. know, for the next 8, 10, 30 years of your life and see what you can get off of somebody. But it was an opportunity when somebody had was down and out, they weren't managing their life well, whatever the situation was, terrible poverty, and they were able to get back on their feet, um, specifically in the, in the case of Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew. Okay, do you want to hear, do you want to hear Patrick endorse slavery? You want me to just get it out of the way right now? Yeah, and then go ahead. Keep moving. Okay, so here's the idea. You ready for this, Caleb? When you are a victim... So let's say, I don't know, someone uh, gets drunk and drives their truck right into your living room, all right? Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have a big truck size hole in your living room wall 
and uh, your family sustained some injuries. You got some cuts and bruises and maybe a broken bone or two. And the guy that was doing it, he's arrested, right? He's brought to jail. And then your homeowner's insurance is like, uh, sorry, we're not covering it. It's not our fault. It's not an act of God. We're going to go after the guy that was driving the car. But guess what, Caleb? He doesn't have any insurance. Right. So now what do you got to do? You got to go to court, which, by the way, if this guy is going to fight it and he wants to go to trial, you might not be able to go to court for several months. Right. And then after that, you show up and you turn in all the bills because you had to get the outside of your house made back up and you had to take your family into the hospital and pay all those bills. So you got this big stack of receipts and you go to court and you show up and you hand them to the judge and the judge goes through them and he stamps them off and he says, yep. This guy absolutely owes you all the money for that. And he hits the gavel and everyone leaves the courtroom and you're standing there thinking, uh, where's my check? Right. And the judge is like, oh, well, this guy's going to jail for like three years. And you say, okay, uh, what about me? I'm the victim. What happens right. to me? They're like, well, we gave you a judgment. Didn't you get it? It's a piece of paper. You can pick that up at the clerk's office. And that piece of paper says that you're entitled to collect $20,000 from this guy. And you're like, the guy was an unemployed meth addict who was drunk and drove into my living room. And you're telling me that I have the right to collect $20,000 from him. Why don't you guys do that? Oh, well, we're the U.S. government. We're completely flipping worthless. We don't do anything for the victim. But you can. Go ahead. Good luck. We got this paper. We stamped it and signed it with the dates on it from the court. You can get your money whenever you want. Guess how much of that money you're ever going to see, Caleb? Zero. Zero dollars. That's right. the American system of justice that we have today. So guess what the yeah. Bible says? The Bible says you don't get to be a deadbeat. You don't get to destroy someone's life and their the lives of their family and, and their home and, and cost them all this money and just get away with it and sleep in an area where you have hot meals and you're out of the weather and you got cable TV and you get to stay there for a couple of years and then you get to get out and you never have to make restitution to the person. Because keep in mind, the court doesn't help you with that. You have to hope that this guy gets a job and has a bank account that you can go and put a lien on. It is a process. Guess what? The Bible has a different system. The Bible says, hey, buddy, guess what? You drove through Caleb's living room. Now you're his slave. So Caleb owns you until this debt is paid. And he's going to give you room and board and you're going to go to work for him. And guess how much of that you get to keep? Nothing. It's going to go to Caleb and Caleb gets to be made whole. And then after that, then you get to start your life over. And Caleb, out of the goodness of his heart, is going to give you something to start your life over with after the indentured servitude, which the Bible calls, quote, slavery, and guess who determines how much money they're going to give you to start your life over? Caleb gets to decide that. And you better hope and pray that you work hard. And by God's good graces, Caleb is a generous man. Okay, But he gets to be in charge of that. So guess who gets to be made whole 
And guess whose life is made difficult by the actions of that individual? Okay, you and your family are made whole, and that individual has to pay for his actions. That was the system that God set up. And it's called being a bondservant, indentured servitude, and oftentimes in the Bible, especially in depending on the you know translation you use, it's called slavery. So if we're going to say that that is slavery, then yes, I am in favor of slavery. I think we need to bring it back. And in the form that the Bible talks about it, it's absolutely a good idea, and it's going to get America back on track. How do you like that? So for all of those of you who are concerned that one day I am going to run for public office, go ahead and just cut and splice that and use it when Patrick Hayes says, I am in favor of slavery. So there you go. Well, that's, that's, it's kind of interesting because when you think about it, I was thinking about it as you're saying that one of the the most common complaints that you hear from law-abiding citizens and law enforcement officers in America is that our justice system doesn't work. It's a joke. Yeah. yeah. Because they'll go and do everything they can. I, don't, I guess you probably just thought what happened in Florida, and this is way off topic, but the governor go of Florida just got rid of the district attorney, the federal, state, whatever attorney, because Moros he was funded. Not, yeah, he was... He attorney was, General? If you're able, if you're able to work as a police officer and and try to serve justice when somebody does something wrong and, mm-hmm. and armed robbery or whatever, and then the justice system doesn't stick behind the stand behind the victims and say, all right, you're going to jail or you're going to have to pay up or whatever, mm-hmm. then then what's the point in even having a law or law enforcement there at all? And so this I'm is a libertarian, way of, Caleb. Of, Don't ask me that question. You're not going to want to hear the answer. I am as close to an anarchist as a pastor can get. (laughs) I don't think it works. I think we need to do something different. Right. But this is a practical way where, and and when you look at when this was laid out there in Exodus chapter 21, God was dealing with a people that had just come out of slavery where when every time that God refers to Egypt, he always calls it the land of slavery. He's like, yep. I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. That was that was Egypt's nickname. And I think it, that God was bothered by the way that his children were being treated in, his, in, in Egypt enough that he was willing to go to great lengths to rescue them from the hand of their, you know, of, of the, the people that owned them as slaves because they weren't being treated justly. And God was here saying, wait a minute, if you guys are going to own servants or slaves, you need to be fair with them. You need to let them go after seven years. You need to not, you know, if you sm- if you smite them and kill them, you're mm-hmm. going to be you're going to be held accountable. You'll you'll face the death penalty. If you if you go and you kidnap them, you're going to mm-hmm. face the death penalty. And so there was there was some sort of that this to, this to me was in reaction to, and oftentimes was when God was laying down the law. It was in reaction to really bad situation that was going on and God saying, no, you're not going to, you're not going to do this. If you are going to participate in this activity that humans do with each other, you're going to be fair with each other. You're not going to take advantage of each other. Okay. So let me give you, let's get into the Bible. We've been going for half an hour and we haven't used a Bible verse yet. Okay. So I just want to 
kind of put to bed the idea that slavery in the Bible has anything to do with what we see around the world today and what we've seen around the world over the last several thousand years. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, we read, And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So the idea that biblical slavery looks anything like the slavery from around the world over the last, you know, many thousands of years is nonsense. Because out of the five points that I made earlier, the Bible in one verse says that the first two points are not only not okay, they're a capital crime. You're not allowed to kidnap someone and sell them to someone else. That's not how it works. And we're going to get and into, the last part of that verse says, or yeah. if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So, so I if think that, you bought a slave. So if you go and you slave. kidnap somebody yep. and then you sell him to me, that's two yep. capital. Either yep. thing right there is capital punishment. And then if I buy him, then I get put to death because I bought a slave from you that yeah. you took against their will. Yeah. So it, it in no way resembles what we're used to. And unfortunately, so many people, they hear the word slavery, they automatically think Uncle Tom's cabin, and they relate the two together. And it's like, no, that's not what the Bible is talking about. And we're going we're gonna to explain more about this because there are two types of slavery. One is indentured servitude. Two, we can call slavery. That would be your more traditional form of slavery, but there's still a lot we have to talk about. Okay, so let me get into a couple Bible verses, and we can just kind of talk about them as we go. All right, so... The All the things I'm about to explain to you are applied to both a bondservant and a slave. They apply to both, okay? Number one, we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 15, and there are several verses in Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 12, going to verse 17, and there's some in Exodus, Leviticus. We're going to be all over the place in the law of Moses, but Deuteronomy starting in verse chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. So a bondservant was not a slave forever. No matter what they owed you, you only got them for a maximum of six years at most. And you had to release them on the year of Jubilee if that came up prior to the six years being done. But the absolute longest you could ever serve someone would be six years. So it was not a situation where you were going to be serving, you know, your brother forever. Anything you want to add to that or can I go to the next one? Well, I don't if you're if it's a different reference or if you're staying right here, but this is the verse that you mentioned earlier, which is one of them that I had referenced here. Um, as far as having to treat them fair when you sent them away, you weren't supposed to send them away empty. You were supposed to give them liberally. Yeah, we're going to go right through it. Do you want yeah. go ahead read yeah. thirteen and fourteen? And and when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy wine press of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. Okay, so there, and keep in mind, the bond servant could come from two places. Number one, voluntarily. Number two, from the courts. 
But either way, your bond servant, you are supposed to uh, furnish them how? Liberally out of your flock and out of thy floor, talking about the threshing floor, okay, what you bring in in the harvest, out of your wine pressed, uh, of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. Now, Caleb, do you know what, what God references every time in the Bible he's talking about how you're supposed to treat a slave? Do you know how he starts those verses? He always does it the same way. He As says, you would, your own children. No, remember yeah. when oh, you right. were slaves in Egypt and ha- and what I did for you. So God is using that as a as a teaching tool. And and folks, remember the nation of Israel was never allowed to have a bond servant or a slave until they went through slavery for four hundred years. And that was to make sure that they understood the relationship where God rescued them and treated them well. And how when he when the Israelites left the Egyptians, what did they get? Remember? Nothing other, other, other no. than what they plundered. Yeah. Moses told him, he's like, go and get all this stuff from your Egyptian masters. They're going to give you all kinds of gold and silver and yada, yada, yada. So they got, they were furnished with all this stuff. And God is using this as an example saying, whether this person, you know, owes you money and comes to you and asks to be a bond servant, whether this person is forced by the courts uh, uh, to be a bond, to be your bond servant, you got to remember when they leave you, when you release them from their burden, they are to be provided for and not just provided for, they are to be substantially provided for because your job is to be a blessing to them when they leave. Pretty wild, huh? Yeah. Okay. Let me read the next verse. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore, I command thee this thing today. So this verse is talking about how the slaves are to be looked at as equals. They are not to be looked down upon as the Egyptians looked down upon the Israelites during their time. God is saying, just like you were a slave, you need to remember that when you're treating your slave. You need to treat them in a manner that you wanted to be treated. And obviously, the Israelites tasted the other side of that coin. They were treated bitterly from the Egyptians. And God's saying, yeah, that's not going to be the way that this works. Okay, in verses 16 and 17, and it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee in thine house because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an all and thrust it through his ear unto the door and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maid servant, thou shall do likewise. Biblical ear piercing right there. Biblical ear piercing. Okay. So, Caleb, I always joke about this and say that slavery in the Bible was so terrible that the slaves would not want to leave their master. And that happened so often that God wrote down provisions for that situation and said, okay, 
you as the slave master, the Israelite, you are going to treat your slaves so well that when it is time for them to leave, they're going to say, you know what? I don't want to go anywhere. I got a good job. My family's taken care of. We got room and board. You treat us well. I got, you know, job security. I don't want to leave. This is a wonderful place. I just want to stay with you. And don't forget the the time and the place when this is being written down, the world was an ugly, cold, inhospitable place. It was it was violent and inhumane throughout much of the world. And when these people had a place where they were taken care of and they had security and their family was protected and provided for, they're like, uh, yeah, I don't want to leave this. This is good. Right. We're just, we're just going to go ahead and stay. That's all right. Let's just keep this thing going forever. Well, what are your thoughts the, on that? Well, it's, it's hard to ma- wrap your mind around exactly what was going on back then because it's so much different culture than what we have here. And it was mm-hmm. centered around around trying to obey God's law and be fair and, and treat each other like, you know, as you would be, want to be treated yourself. But um, if, if you were a, if you were a bond servant mm-hmm. and you were being ready to be sent out on the year of Jubilee, okay. Now every, mm-hmm. every seven years, the Sabbath year, they would have um, been required to, or they, they couldn't keep you more than six years, mm-hmm. but if it would have every 49 years, if you bought land in Israel, that that deed was only written over to you according to Scripture. It, it said God said the land belongs to me, so yep. you could write a deed over, but it only lasts until the year of jubilee. And at that point, everybody it was kind of like the great equalizer, so to speak. Yeah, where everybody everybody like gets you were leasing the land more than selling it. Because right. no matter how bad you screwed up and needed money, your family was not going to be without that land forever. They were only going to be without that land for a maximum of half a generation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, if you were presented with the opportunity to say, all right, I can go back to my original land, to my family, my uh, the guy that I've been working for for the last several years, he's going to give me a good severance package here. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to get wine and some grain and a flock and I get to start over, but I love my master and I want to stick with him and work with him. I mean, that tells me that they must have been treating, if somebody would have chose to stay and be an indentured servant, they must have been treating them pretty freaking good. Obviously. A lot better than most employers because nowadays, if you have an employer and you get the chance to get fired and have a good severance package, uh, and yeah. move on down the road. A lot of people You're are going to take that. They're they're not going to be like, oh, you'll give me thirty thousand dollars if I leave. But I I really like working here. I'm going to stay. So if they were if they were going to have the opportunity to go be a free man and they chose to stay, it must it must indicate that. I mean, and there's it's just like now. Some people don't want to own a business and you know they want to rent an apartment in town and have a job working nine to five. And at the end of the deal, they don't own any of it anyways. It was rent mm-hmm. money down the drain, and it was you know. So there's some people that are going to pr- prefer that. They're not entrepreneurs, and they're not going to want to get out and make their own life. And if somebody else already has a system that's working and they're there, um, they got their family there, they can stay. I can understand why some people would have, but they, they would have had to be treating treating them pretty fair if they would choose to say, you know what, I'm going to stick my head up on the doorpost and let you pierce it, and I'm going to be yours forever. Because that's it's yeah. not like then they have the opportunity to go every every few years. There you're you're that's there. It. You're stuck yep. forever. 
And so you would have to know somebody who was pretty fair with you at that point. And that's the thing that so many people, whenever someone uses the, you know, is like, well, the Bible condones slavery. It's like, you know what? That is not only a cheap shot. That goes to show that you are so ignorant on the subject. You have absolutely no idea what you're talking about at all. Because what the Bible describes and, and, and defines as slavery is so vastly different from what we have in our mind. Nowadays, you know, what we hear about, and we hear about it nonstop, all, just day in and day out, is, you know, the slavery uh, that took place on American soil. We hear about that all the time, and we hear about all the atrocities. Then we hear about uh, child sex trafficking. Then we, we hear about all these horrible ideas of slavery. And it's like, well, of course, we've heard about so many of these things that were obviously so terrible that anytime we hear the word slavery, we automatically think of the worst case scenario and how terrible it is. But you got to understand that several of the ideas behind slavery in the Bible were number one bankruptcy laws. Nowadays, right. you totally mess someone up and screw them out of a whole bunch of money. And what do you do? Oh, chapter 11 can't come after me. I get to walk away from this. That's ridiculous. You know, the criminal that destroys your property and takes away giant chunks of your, you know, wealth and your family's well-being, they get to walk away without you know, doing anything. Someone that falls on hard times and owes you a bunch of money, they can't just walk away from that. You get to be made whole. And those people, when they are, you know, put into slavery, which should, or we would more accurately call indentured servitude, being a bond servant, everyone gets to be made whole. It's a fair system. You are treated so well that at the end of it, you think to yourself, man, I don't know if I want to leave anymore. Okay? Right. It is so different from the picture that we have when we hear the word slavery. Okay. I got another one for you. And this is going to uh, Exodus. So now if we go to Exodus chapter 21, in verses two and three, we read, if thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. So in this case, we even see that families are kept together whenever possible. So again, this is different from slavery that you and I think of that's happened all over the world where I own a person and then when that person, you know, gets together and gets married or has children with another one of my slaves, then all the children, I own them and guess what I can do? I can sell those little, you know, I don't know, baby slaves or child slaves or, you know, young adult slaves off and I can make a profit off of them and split up the family. That's not the way that this worked, that's not the system here. This was something totally different from that. Yeah, if you read on from there, it does get a little more complicated if they didn't come in with the wife, but they Correct. would have the option. Say, say if I if if I screw up and I'm ordered to go and work for Patrick because the court orders me to be his servant for the next however many years, and mm -hmm. then I and this is a bad example because 
we're both married men, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. But hypothetically, matter. okay, I'm a, I'm a young single man. I'm a young single ago. man, and Patrick has a has a daughter. And a year into it, I decide that I want to marry her or marry one of his other servants or whatever. I don't necessarily, or or the last year that I'm in there, I don't necessarily get to take them out with me right away. Um, Correct. They would have. They would have had the option going in. Right. You know that it's going in like, and you have the option, you can stay there with them and you can serve right. another six years. Um, and you, and we see that, that situation happening there with Jacob and Laban. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, you can re up, renew your contract, serve longer. You can wait for their contract to expire and then, and then you can have them. There was options, but it, and it's kind of interesting how it, it almost, it protected the slave and the fair slave master. Now, somebody who's unfair and they and the, the slaves didn't like being there, and they escaped, and they ran away because they didn't want to be there. The Bible says not to return them to their master. It was so actually it was, against the law. It was against yeah. the law to return. That a was in Deuteronomy. Master was that yeah. with where you were at? No, that's in twenty three. It is in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, but it's not in. Yeah, it's not where I was. I think I was in twelve. Okay. Yeah, Deuteronomy 23, uh, 15 yeah. says, Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee, even among you, in, in the, that place which he shall choose for one in, in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best, thou shalt not oppress him. So he doesn't just get to be your slave. He gets If he wants to come and live with you, he can. He can pick where he lives. You don't return him back to his master maybe he does become your servant i don't know but it, it's interesting that if god was really pro-slavery and somebody had just gone and spent a bunch of money and purchased a slave that and then they ran away you would think that if god was pro-slavery that he would say nope that guy belongs to this guy you return him to him his master that's the just and right thing to do uh, later on i um in the new testament he says that he come to set the captives free so, so, mm-hmm. so i don't think that god was ever pro or or for somebody being enslaved unjustly or in, in, in an inhumane situation against their will. If it was a bad situation and they want to run away and get out, they can get out. Because I'm sure there was bad slave owners back then. Just because the Bible says fairly doesn't mean that there wasn't some bad apples. Obviously. And that that's one of the things, like I was talking about before, with capital punishment. The idea that the system wasn't perfect means people want to just reject it out of hand and forget everything the Bible said. And it's like, no. Look, slavery already existed. The idea of the bondsman, whether it be forced upon you by the courts or voluntary because of your poverty and, you know, bankruptcy, um, it, it's still not a perfect system. Okay. A perfect system is when people don't screw up and there's not financial hardships and there's not criminals and, you know, all of these things. That's what, that's the perfect system. And we're going to get to see that in heaven. Guess what? There's no bondsman in heaven. There's no indentured servants in heaven. There's no courts in heaven, okay? There's no sin in heaven. And that's going to be wonderful. But until we get there, uh, slavery already exists. And what God was doing was he was regulating it because, okay, think of this, Caleb. The fact that God regulates slavery, what it really proves is that God cares for the person that is enslaved. Because he makes sure that they must be treated well. And people don't I like that idea. People want wasn't, it. 
wasn't um, Abraham's wife Sarah's um, servant? She was an Egyptian uh, handmaid. Hagar. Hagar. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was. I just thought of that because it's later on. Then the Egypt, the Israelites got sold into Egypt as slaves, but uh, Sarai or Sarah had this Egyptian handmaid uh, or slave servant, whatever. Uh, Hagar, that then she told her husband to go sleep with and have a baby because she was too old. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. I just thought of that. I never made that connection, but I wonder if that had anything to do with uh, if if that hadn't been God's plan. I don't think it was obviously it wasn't God's plan for that to happen in the first place. Um, And then another time that I um, was thinking of, it wasn't the curse that put on, that Noah put on his sons. Um, This would have been earlier yet. A form of slavery is he told, was it Ham that mm-hmm. went into the tent and saw his father's nakedness, and then the uh, or Shem and Japheth walked in backward and covered up the father, and then Ham's son was Canaan, and he said that Canaan would be a slave to his brothers or ser- a servant to his brothers. They got to enlarge their tents, so that's yeah. kind of interesting how it was almost. Um, and that, and that went for generations. So I kind of wonder sometimes how, and I'm not saying that Noah really understood how God would have wanted him to treat that situation. He was probably mad that they saw his nakedness. But it kind of makes me wonder sometimes if if this was also, it, one of the hard things to understand about slavery is when it does affect the children or when somebody would have been born into slavery and they kind of, there's bad situations where where somebody gets themselves by their own personal decisions into a bad spot. But then there's people that probably just ended up out of, bad luck or whatever, they ended up finding themselves as a slave. But it also, the Bible says that God was going to visit the sins of the forefathers under their children. That curse that Noah put on his son was actually on his grandson, and his grandson didn't do it. He didn't curse his son. He cursed his grandson and said, you just, you just dishonored me, and so now your son is going to be, is going to be a slave, slave to his brother. So anyway, it's kind of interesting how, how it's kind of, I don't, that'll be one of those questions that I have for God when I, when, if I get a chance to chat in heaven someday is is how how does how, how does this work but i think there is something about it where where the offspring of somebody that does something evil um that it's not it's not outside of god's plan for if i mess up that my kids or grandkids might have to pay some of the consequences of that mm-hmm. unfortunately but i mean i think sure. we see that even in real life there's yeah that, that's that natural our grandchildren yeah, yeah. So anyway, so if you if you would have had the unlucky situation where you're just born as a uh, as a slave in some other country, look at what happened to the children of Israel when God came and rescued them out. They weren't the ones that sold themselves into slavery. It was their great grandparents or whatever mm-hmm. that said, "Hey, we'll we're starving to death. We'll sell ourselves as slaves." And then obviously they got treated really poorly. And I think this had to have been a, just had to have been a reaction to that, where God is like, "All right, look at how you guys got treated. This is yeah. a bad deal." I'm not going to have you guys treating each other like this. You got to be fair with each other. If you end up in a bad spot and you're and you're going to sell yourself into slavery, don't don't take each other. Uh, in one spot, I think it says not to rule over each other harshly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I, I don't know what your next point was, but it's okay. I was box. just going to move on down with uh, Exodus 21, 26, and 27. All right, so. Um, if you stayed with us through uh, Caleb's rambling monologue, you're going to really love this next point. All right. You ready for this? And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eyes sake. 
And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. Now, there are lots of ways you can take these verses. And I know a lot of people are going to take it a different way than it is intended. These verses are not encouraging to a lot of folks because they are talking about physical discipline. In our kindergarten culture that can't deal with reality, this is appalling. The idea that the slave could be struck, right? That's just totally out of bounds. Can't believe that that would even be allowed by God. But there are a couple things I want to bring up. Number one, what this is saying is that although corporal punishment was allowed to be used, physical abuse was not. And if physical abuse was found, what happened to that slave? They were set free. So what the Bible's saying is if one tooth gets knocked out, that slave goes free. Do you know how hard it is to knock out a tooth, Caleb? It's really not, not, that, it's right. not that hard. Okay. Anyone that's played sports or gone skiing or, you or know, been in a been bar in fight. Yeah. I mean, been in one bar fight, you know, you could walk out missing a tooth. That happens a lot. So if one of your slaves gets a tooth knocked out, gets a tooth broken, chips a tooth because of your corporal punishment, they're allowed to go free. So what the Bible is saying is that physical abuse of your slaves is not going to be tolerated. Now, I want to bring up an idea here, Caleb, to help people understand what the Bible is saying. Because as I said before, I think a lot of people are going to read that verse. Well, who are we kidding, right? I mean, what Christians right. in America are reading their Bible, okay? But if someone decided they were going to do it and they came across this verse, they would roll their eyes and throw their hands up in the air and say, oh, my soul, I can't believe that these people were allowed to strike their slaves. Now, Caleb, do you know how long corporal punishment was used in public schools in America? Do you know when it was finally done away with? I, I, in the last 50 years, I'm guessing. 2011. Wow. <laughs> now, some states got rid of it earlier than that, but in public school, corporal punishment was used up until 2011. And do you know that it is still used in private schools today? And right. you, I don't know if it's used in your Christian school down there in Rosebud, Texas, but to be honest with you, I would never put my kids in a public school or, or I'm sorry, in a private school where corporal punishment was not allowed. I would not deal with that. For me, it's like, nope, I want this taken care of and I want it taken care of quickly. Now, I have... Uh, two different examples. I have friends who have both gone through this, but I have friends who all the way through high school in their Christian school would go to the principal's office 
and have to bend over the desk and he'd get out the wooden paddle and give them licks. In another one, another friend was in a Christian school, same thing, but instead the parents would be called in and they had to give the kid licks. So in one school, they're like, yeah, as a faculty, we're not going to do it. But they would call the parents in and they would tell the parents, you either you either spank this kid or you take him home. He's expelled right now. We don't care what you do, but those are your options because we're not putting up with this. Anyway, can I, yeah, can I give in. us a, a scenario where I actually um, I'm going to go a step further on being controversial on this podcast and not only biblical slavery, but you're going to be controversial on Bible Thumper. I don't know if we can allow that, Caleb. That well, is... I think I think there probably is biblical scenarios where we could look at and, and actually promote somebody the, the necessity of somebody to actually beat their slave. Okay. So we're not we're not we're no longer just endorsing slavery on the Bible. Now podcast. we are endorsing, endorsing beating the beating slaves. of slaves. Okay, good. Okay, so here here we go. Let me let me explain this first. Give it a so minute. Exodus Exodus twenty two chapter twenty two. If a man this is verse one. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and mm-hmm. kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Amen. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt on him. But Amen. if the sun has, ri- ha- has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we have, if, if somebody's breaking and entering, if somebody's stealing, stealing oxen or sheep, and they're required to pay restitution, but they don't have anything to pay with, then they are going to be forced into slavery. Yep. They are sold. To pay for their theft, like what you said. How happy do you think that thief is going to be to show up? You know, five o'clock in the morning, you wake up and you're brewing coffee, and you tell him, "All right, today you're going to work." And he's yep. the thief that you just got yeah. awarded by the court. You're going to work for the guy you just stole from the night before, right. and now you have to be his servant for this long. Guess what? That might not have been that smooth of a transition. <laughs> yeah, so there's a chance. There's yep. a chance that he may not have, he might've just sat there and said, Nope, I'm not doing anything today. I'm, I'm not, not going to listen. Doing right. So there's the chance that when you're dealing with criminals, when you're dealing with thieves that yep. are going around and breaking and entering and whatever, and you're the one now that has to administer justice, you were the victim of the crime. You're I'm the pretty sure now. that there probably is a chance that not only is there, are they going to, you're going to catch them not working you're going to catch them trying to steal more stuff. You're going to catch mm-hmm. them causing more problems. And it's your job to take this problem person and assimilate them into a responsible person for the next however many years that they are your servant. So, so you- I think in that situation, there's probably a chance that corporal punishment is your only option other than literally putting weapons. them to death. <laughs> if you can't, if, if you can't figure out how to live peaceably with a thief in your house and not yep. kill them, then you're probably going to be given them some weapons. <laughs> So anyways, yeah, it's again, not it's not fun, but no, yeah. But it's a good explanation of what's going on here. People have to understand there was no do, Caleb out of our, our entire criminal justice system. Do you know the one thing in our criminal justice system that is never talked about in the Bible not one single time? Imprisonment. Jails, right? 
Prisons and jails don't exist in the Bible. Nowhere do we read about them. Not one time do we find a custodial sentence given where someone has to sit in jail. It's 100% unbiblical. And it is nonsense that we are doing that here in America today. It is hands down the worst form of punishment. It doesn't do anything that it was the set only out place to you'll do. find that in the Bible would be under under Roman law. Yeah, not or under, under not Egyptian. Under. In in right. Egypt, they would throw you in jail. In Rome, they would throw you in jail. But you never find it in God's laws. And there's a reason. It's a total joke. It wasn't effective. It didn't accomplish anything. And the whole idea is if there's someone that needs to sit in jail because they are so dangerous that they should not be allowed out in public, guess what? Your job's to execute them. Right. That's it. If there's a segment of society that is so dangerous, they cannot be let free in society, then you are to do away with them. Otherwise, there was a punishment that fit the crime. And in this case, you would be given authority over this person to have them work for you. And like you said, might not go that smoothly. So guess what position you were thrust into? You were thrust into the position of authority that was similar to a parent because some parent didn't do their job with this guy that is now your indentured servant. So guess what? You have to do it. It's your job to your, yeah. But worse than being a parent, you're, you're dealing with a criminal. Yep. So, I mean, in that case, now I'm, there's some cases where somebody wouldn't have been a criminal, but in that case, you're probably not going to have, you're not going to end up, it's going to be a smoother ride. If somebody says I'm, I'm down on my luck, Yeah, I don't have any. I've got the shirt on my back, and I'm starving to death. I'd like to come and work for you. And I'll do this. Yep. Yeah. Then when it's voluntary, you didn't have to whip up on them. That wasn't. They're probably not going to be causing problems. Yeah. Okay, but again, it just goes to show that the slaves were supposed to be protected from physical abuse. All right, let's keep moving along because we are now. We got to get into the messy part of if it wasn't a Hebrew slave. We're going to get there in a second. Okay, yeah. but I want to get over. Well, and honestly, that's a pretty short section as far as my notes right. go. I don't try to defend it. I simply explain away if they weren't made slaves, what was their other option? It was worse. Okay, so hold on. Let me <laughs> let me get into this because th- there's more that is important. And this applies to both the bondsman and uh, the slave. Okay, Genesis 17, 12 and Exodus 23, 12. Uh, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not thy seed. So servants and slaves are afforded the same privileges everyone else gets. And we see this not only with circumcision, we're going to see this in a second with all the feast days, all the sacrifices, everything. Caleb, they were afforded a day off. And we're going to see this right here. Exodus 23, 12, six days thou shalt do thy work. And on the seventh day thou shalt rest that thine ox and thine ass may rest and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Everyone gets a day off. Slave or free, you are not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. The bondsman, the slave, the servant, whatever word the Bible uses for it, they are all given a day off. 
Deuteronomy 12, 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maid servants, and the Levite that is within your gates for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. Now that whole chapter is talking about the feast days and the sacrifices that the Jews are going to observe once they reach the promised land. And verse 12 says that you you will include all of those who are your servants. So in the same way, they take they take part in the Passover, they take part in um, the in Pentecost and in the fall holy days. Uh, they take part in the sacrifices. They if they're a male, they come in. They are circumcised. They take part in the Sabbath day. Um, I really don't know what they're doing every seventh year when the land received its a Sabbath rest because obviously they're not working in the field that much, but they are afforded all the time off that everyone else in your household is afforded. So once again, this paints a picture about, or this paints a picture explaining why people in this situation would voluntarily remain under your employee after their time was done. It was because they were treated well. They had time off. They were brought into your house. And the goal was to essentially kind of make them, you know, like part of your family. Okay, ready to get into the last part? Yep. The protection against permanent enslavement did not apply to foreigners. So, Leviticus 25 verses 44 through 46, and then we can talk about this. Both And this by, is the only this is really the only distinction between Hebrew servants and the others is and the that foreigners. the is that the, the year of jubilee being, or the or the six year limit didn't uh, didn't apply? All the other limits right. applied to everyone as far as he, treating them well, Humanely, not killing them, not, yeah, no physical abuse, giving them the days off. Yep, right. All stuff. Okay, both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are round about you. Of them shall ye buy bondmen and bondmaids. Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. And you shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever, but over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor. Okay, so where did the Israelites get these slaves? Well, from the nations that God was driving out around them. That's right. So the men taken in war were considered plunder and became the perpetual property of their owners. Now, Caleb, let me ask you this. In other nations, if you weren't taken as a slave, what happened to you? If you lost the war, you would have been killed. You would have been killed. So there are only two options here. And maybe, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe we can say that being a slave for the rest of your life was not going to be that great, but I'll tell you this. 
when the Babylonians, when the Assyrians, when the Ninevites, when the Persians would surround your city, when the Romans would do it and they would lay siege to your city, do you know one of the options that every country that was being laid siege to would consider at that time? Selling themselves into slavery, surrendering. They would consider suicide. Oh, right, right. Because of how badly they knew that they were going to be treated. So women and girls captured in war who you know, were the vast majority of the captives. And that makes sense because the men were fighting the war, the men and the boys, and a lot of them died. They would face the same situation as female slaves of Hebrew origin, including permanent enslavement. So after war, and keep in mind, Israel was not the nation that was going around and invading countries. They only went to one land. They crossed over the Jordan River and they went to their land that God said he was giving them. And he said, you're going to drive out these nations, some of which you're just going to wipe out and kill. You're not even going to take any of them as slaves. And some of the other ones you were going to take as slaves. And then after the war, you would bring them back and you would sell them, you know, throughout the nation of Israel and people could get slaves of uh, your vanquished enemy. So the slaves would be, you know, um, uh, purchased and the people would have them. Okay. But all of the other protections afforded the Hebrew slaves applied to the foreigners as well. So here's the list. You got one day off in seven. You got all the feast days off. You were protected from physical abuse. You were to be treated as equals concerning human rights. So you did not live in fear of being sexually assaulted, raped, physically assaulted, or murdered. Your family was also to be preserved if it was sold. So I am in no way trying to, you know, paint slavery as a pretty picture. Okay. I am simply saying that the biblical model is vastly superior to an uh, to any other that we see in the entire world today or over the the last, what, four or 5,000 years? The right. problem is that people think regulating slavery means that God endorses it, when in fact, what it proves is that God cared about the people who were slaves, and he wanted them to be treated humanely. Now, this is projecting something on scripture here, but this is my, this is my way of sort of in my head, uh, wrapping my mind around, around this, this taking foreign, uh, prisoners of war basically as mm -hmm. slaves. Now this still happens to this day where if you're, if you are captured in war, you're a prisoner of war. There's now, since the Geneva convention, there are some rules that apply as far as how they, how they can and can't treat you. But, um, the old saying, I don't know who, who, who the quote is by, that all is fair in love and war. Well, yeah. that kind of has been since the beginning of time. When you're at war with some, somebody, once you declare war on somebody, uh, there's, there's no options that aren't on the table at that point. It it's, was one of the ways death. to dissuade people from going to war. It was going to be right. a terrible event, and there was a chance that you lost, and that was going to be really bad. So when when you, 
I think there's a good chance that if, if you would have been one of the countries around Israel and you're fighting a war and you have some some soldiers there that are ready to kill you, there's a good chance that some of those men said, you know, they, they would have put their hands up, surrendered, and, hey, take me, I'll be your slave. It's either that or a death. Um, now, it looks messy, and we could say, we can question why would God do this or why would God do that? Why would God say go to war and wipe these people out? But yet we read the Bible story about Noah and the flood and God wiping everybody out, men, women, and child, children there, and that's in our kids' Sunday school books, and we don't think much of that. <laughs> so, so we acknowledge that God has the right to, to, he's sovereign, and he has the right to say enough with evil and I'm going to take care of it. When it's done by the hands of other men, it seems, it seems kind of more messy. It seems less, it's, it's, it seems less like the, the, the lovey-dovey uh, Jesus message that we try to sing about at church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just, that's why we don't talk about it. But Jesus also, or in, not Jesus, in the, in the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So in the, in the, the uh, setting that we have here, where these, the, the nations around Israel had been attacking them and had been taking them as slaves for years, if, mm-hmm. it is, if it is the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and they have been taken as slaves, and God is now saying, I'm going to give you a land to inherit it, you're going to go in there and you're going to drive out the people that are there um, that are possessing it. And you're going to take some of them as your own slaves. I'm not saying that, that I am promoting that Christians should be going and taking slaves of nations sure. around us. But at the time, this is what God said. And I think God is perfectly justified in, it, it seems totally fair to me, if the Egyptians had taken them as slaves for years and had abused them, that they should be able to go and take an Egyptian slave, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it'd only be fair. Um, and so, but... This is the most advanced piece of human rights, humans' rights, one of the earliest, most advanced uh, standards as far as human rights. Slaves had rights that weren't in, in the biblical text here that haven't been afforded to citizens of countries that yeah. have been a lot more recent. So there's, there's still, if you're in North Korea right now, you're not afforded the kind of uh, no. rights that a slave in Israel had. Yeah. And we're if talking about 2022 now. Today, you would have rather have been a slave in the nation of Israel, you know, 4,000 years ago. Right. I mean, and in modern day slavery, if you try to run away from your captor, it's, it, it's pretty common that you're going to be killed. If you escape oh, yeah. and you're found, they're not just going to retu- return you to the captor. They're going to kill you. In, or in they're the going biblical... to return you to the captor and then he's going to um, hamstring you. Or he's going to cut right. off one of your feet so you can't run away anymore. You know, and none so of that I think, stuff was allowed. I think the children of Israel leaving Egypt had to have been a lot of crippled, abused, beat up, eyes gouged out, teeth missing, mm-hmm. people that had been whipped and abused by the, by the Egyptians. And God was trying to establish something where he's like, okay, this is what mankind is doing with each other. You guys are doing this. If you're doing this and you're engaging in this custom, in this practice that you've been subjected to, do it fair. Mm-hmm. Have, have some humanity and some kindness. So I, I really think the backdrop of their enslavement in Egypt had a lot to do with God's provision for allowing them to take slaves from the nations around them. And I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm, I'm projecting that on scripture, but it seems, it seems consistent with God's nature as far as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was their, this was their time to, to get back and get their land back and God wasn't necessarily playing, you know, the gloves were off. So mm-hmm. it wasn't all, it wasn't all a pretty picture as far as what was going on. But like you said, it's either, 
if you're taken in war and you become either either you're dead or you're or you're a prisoner of war, you're taken captive. And if they put you to work and tell you to, that's fine, we won't kill you, but you're going to work for us. There's some people that are probably very happy that they had that option. I'm sure not all. Absolutely, uh, especially uh, when someone would see how you were going to be treated as an Israelite slave. I mean, right. and you had the you had the option if you wanted to, you know, turn your sword on your wife and your kids before the Israelites came in and made you and your family slaves. You could do that. No one was stopping you. Right. You know, death was always available. Okay, so here's the last point that I want to make. And I'm going to be ready to shut this down because we're at an hour 20. So I I don't, you know, we we can talk about this as long as we want. So I want to give you an idea here. Slavery in the world is used as an example when explaining the gospel. Right. Bible says we are slaves to sin and in need of Christ. In Romans 6, 20 for when we were the servants of sin ye were free from righteousness what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now being made free from sin and become servants to god ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life so here's the idea caleb the israelites needed to be slaves prior to crossing the Jordan River and entering the promised land. We today need to be slaves to sin prior to receiving redemption and freedom from that in Christ. And when we become a slave. It is no longer by force due to bad circumstances. We now become a slave voluntarily as a bondsman and we decide we want to sign on forever and serve our master and we become a bond slave to Christ. What do you think of that? Uh, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, there's if you if you look at the New Testament verses that, that talk about slavery, uh, most of them are referencing that what exactly what you said, being slaves to sin. Um, I was thinking how I, I don't know the verse, but somewhere in Acts it says that um, God that of, of one blood all all nations God had created all nations of one blood. Mm-hmm. Um, this, of course, in recent slavery, modern slavery, we look at uh, there's there was obviously racism is linked with slavery because there was the illegal slave trade in Africa, and so it's looked at as a as a as a race issue. In this, in the scripture, it was referring to the slavery issue here or servants uh, in the Old Testament, both all the same. I mean, there was the one distinction as far as foreigners. But all slaves were to, were to be treated equally, really, as far as the other rights that they had, whether they were a bond servant or um, a foreigner. And when, um, who was it? Um, uh, Philemon, the book of Philemon, is a, a letter mm-hmm. that was written by Paul to address a brother that had a slave that was now 
that was now with Paul. Onesimus. Yes. Was the slave. Philemon was his owner. Right. And so Paul runs across this guy. I'm guessing that, that, um, I don't know what was going on between Onesimus and and Philemon if he ran away or apparently Paul insinuated insinuated that maybe he owed his master some money and Paul offered to pay the money himself. Um, But you see that Paul didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't reprimand Philemon and said, Hey, you know, I, I tell you by the power of Christ, you you need to release, you need to release this man. He, He said, I'm not going to, to, uh, coerce you to do it. I would rather that you do it you know, that you do the right thing. I think that you mm-hmm. should let him go. And he, that, and if he owes you anything, I'll pay it myself. I want him to come mm-hmm. and be with me. Um, and, and so you kind of, it's, it's interesting how that the early church, they were, they, they grappled in, in this one situation with the slavery issue. And it wasn't, the slavery issue wasn't a big deal. I mean, I think he was saying, all right, I think the right thing for you to do is let him go. Uh, you know, he's a Christian. He's a, he, he, got, he got saved. He started hanging out with Paul. He gets saved. Mm-hmm. He's now, uh, he's like, he's a fellow brother, and I've taken him in as my own son. And so it seems to me that the, that the Christian thing to do as a Christian owner of a slave would be to be like, you know, I got saved. I got these Christian, you know, these, these slaves that I own. I think that it would be the right thing for me to do to turn them loose, right? I mean, I think it's understandable that Christian values would have influenced the freeing of slaves. But... It still seems to me that in the New Testament, you'll see, I mean, it says for servants to obey their masters in the New Testament in a few different places. And, of course, this would have been more under the Roman law where they're being forced to, to be slaves to, the, to under the Roman law rather than under the Old Testament law. But it seems that while Jesus comes to set the captive free, and that, that is, we see that kind of as this, this parallel between him delivering the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. Um, it doesn't seem like God was ever terribly concerned with making sure that tit for tat everything is fair in this life. Like he realizes there's going to be some people that they kind of get they kind of get a, a bad hand, so to speak, and and he gives us spiritual freedom. But it wasn't like you're necessarily going to have physical freedom, or that God feels like that somehow because somebody ends up dealt a bad hand and they're and they don't. You know, they, they're born in China rather than the U.S. in a free country. Um, our freedom here, to me, I think, as Christians, it's elevated pretty highly in America. American Christians value it as if this is some sort of, you know, a, very, a, a high moral obligation that, that everybody owes every, everybody else, and I'm owed my freedoms. And that hasn't always been the case. It's not like democracy is a pretty new thing. For the most part, it was autocracies. It was... It was slavery. There was this was the way that humanity has gone for years. People haven't been treated fairly. So I think that, in my opinion, we can look in our through our lens of the American Christian, freedom-loving Christian, and look at the Bible and say, "Oh my word! It said something about slavery. Oh, they were beating their slaves. This is terrible." When in in the in the scope of the history of mankind, this was probably one of the most fair. Fair times, like if you were if you were gonna get captured by somebody back then, you were probably praying that it was gonna be the the, the Israelites that, that yeah. captured you and took you as their, their slave yes. because word probably got around that hey these guys are treat you pretty well they put you up give you a good place to eat you know if you run away they won't they won't return you back to their captor you know to your master uh, there, okay, there you had to have been one? yeah let me give you another one when you 
uh, took a woman to be a slave after a war, you were to give her a certain amount of time off to mourn her family before she could perform any duties as a slave because you were at war and her parents or husband or whoever in her family was killed, you had to give her a certain amount of time off so she could properly grieve. Right. How many countries do that? Yeah, exactly. And then not only that, there was certain work that the women weren't allowed to do. You were not allowed to send the women out with the men to do the men's work. So the women weren't out there digging ditches and, you know, doing the hard manual labor. These right. were all provisions that God had. He's like, you know, nope, you gotta, you gotta, you still have to treat women um, uh, in the manner that I set up where you are going to take care of them. You're going to protect them. That's your job as a man. Um, I mean, it was insane how differently the Israelites would treat you know, the, the nation right. that they vanquished compared to, you know, all the other ones. So, yeah, I think we look back at this, given our, our lens with, with our current events right now, and we can look back and be like, Oh my word, that's terrible. And at the time, this was probably the most revolutionary um, piece of literature that was being written. It would be like <laughs> today saying, if you're an employee and you go to work, your, your uh, boss has to bend over and kiss your feet when you walk in the door and he has to treat yeah. you with, you know, kid gloves and he has to send you home with champagne at night. And, you know, I mean, in, in a way it, it had, it had to have been, it, this had to have been, like, I'm sure that when God wrote, had Moses write this down, that, that they were like, Whoa, okay. You know, <laughs> we got to do what? <laughs> yeah. I wish we could have been treated this nice when we were in yeah. Egypt. Yep. So yeah, yeah it looks, it, it, it looks different because we are in a very different culture now, but I don't know if, and it's like I said before about human life. I don't think that God esteems human life. Obviously, it's sacred, and God mm -hmm. values it. But human life isn't the most sacred and valuable thing out there in God's eyes. God gives us life, and he reserves the right. If he says, all right, it's time to wipe them out with a flood, mm -hmm. you know, we still believe that he's a good God and that he could do that and that, and that he has the right and it is in with, within his authority and his discretion to choose to do something like that and to wipe whole nations out. Um, and that, those are... That is a harder thing to deal with than slavery to me. I mean, especially when it, when it comes to men, women, and children, we look at that and it's like, oh my word, how could God do that? Well, apparently, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that is a stain on God as far as him being a just God. I think that he's justified and he has the right to do that. And someday we'll probably understand more of, of the evils that were going on and why God needed to do what he did. But it, it just still doesn't make God or the Bible any less um, correct or just or moral. I, I don't think that slavery in the Bible, I, to me, it's, it's one of the easier things to defend. It's not one of the hardest things out there to defend. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think most people just have never looked into it and looked into the history and all the circumstances surrounding it. People just hear the word slavery and they automatically you know, think it's the worst thing in the world. And it's like, well, when, when you look at all the particulars, it's like, no, there were reasons behind it. And it was actually the best way to handle the situation at the time. Now, some people right. might disagree and that's, you know, that's fine. And I'm sure there was, I'm sure there was bad cases. Absolutely. People that were bad actors. Absolutely. None, there were, none, that, none that were ever recorded in history that were, yeah. uh, that, well, at least in the Bible that were recorded that were worse than what the Egyptians did to uh, the Israelites. Yeah. So, 
And some of the nations around them were probably, I mean, from what I understand, there were, there was human sacrifice and all kinds of horrible, Absolutely. grotesque things going on. And so God really, I mean, when you, when you look at it in that context of how the nations around them would have treated their slaves, um, yeah, it would have been like winning the lottery for somebody to say, oh, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm just going to bring you home and you can work for me, buddy. Okay. There were some cases where the lives of the people in the nations that they captured and took on as slaves improved from their right. former life living in the country that yeah. that lost to the nation of Israel. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. They weren't right, sacrificing man. their children to Molech anymore. At yeah. least <laughs> it was a good, it was a, it was a good <laughs> save the babies, uh, endorse biblical slavery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my soul. All right. And with that, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, I will be on next Thursday to uh, talk about some fluffy, nonsensical, non-controversial, beautiful, sweet hope and love, you know, kind of topic with Zach. We should get some um, Bible. We should get some Bible thumper bumper stickers made. Bring back slavery. The Bible. (laughs) Bible thumper (laughs) podcast. Bring back slavery. (laughs) Save the children. Oh, okay, Caleb. Last thing I'm gonna, I'm, <laughs> and I do this on, I do this on purpose, and I, and you've noticed on a few of these. So when I, tr- when I pick out the graphic that we're gonna use for the thumbnail of a video, I do it right. for one of a couple reasons. One of the reasons I do it is to make a point. And the other reason I do it is to get a laugh. Now, did you see right. the thumbnail that I use for tonight? I, I did not. Oh, man. You got to look at it. When we're done, we'll talk about it. I don't want to bring it up on air, but just pull it up on Facebook. And if you're listening, go ahead and uh, tell me why uh, that picture has meaning and you know can be uh, there's a deeper meaning to it and why it can even be comical. Uh, so anyway, with that, I appreciate y'all. I'll be back next Sunday with Zach King. I'm going to try to get a very controversial topic on here to make him uncomfortable. And uh, hopefully y'all have a good week. Bye-bye. <laughs>